On Monday, November 24th, 2014, Formula One went quiet. Kinetic Energy Motors spun down. Heat Energy Units cooled off. Turbochargers stopped forcing impressive amounts of oxygen into six tiny yet potent cylinders. There was no fuel to mix or spark to light anyway. Podium planners put the champagne on ice, the teams packed up, the cars and drivers left. The world was calm. Too calm. The race teams didn't go away, but to their factories to build new creations. Race cars with new power units that make more units of power. New aerodynamics that somehow both reduce drag and create even more downforce to push the cars even harder to the ground and grip better. New ideas to try, new drivers to hire. There are new team principles and even a new team. It's 2015 and Formula One is back, ready to make noise. Honda returns to the sport with former partner McLaren, the two eager to repeat history of 25 years ago. Marussia outwits the Grim Reaper and returns to the grid as Manor F1. Lotus swept 2014 under the rug and switched to Mercedes Power, cutting the remaining ties to its Renault roots. Ferrari is back with a new team principal, a new but already four times world champion driver, and a renewed finished driver with more feel and confidence in the new car. Sauber has two new drivers and a lawsuit to start the year. Williams beams with the most confidence they've had in a decade. Oh, and Mercedes is back. Will Lewis Hamilton become three times champion? Will Nico Rosberg deny his teammate and repeat his father's achievements? Or will the already tense rivalry hit a fever pitch and implode in spectacular failure? Will McLaren Honda rise to the top of performance or suffer the most public humiliation? Did Williams make a good car better? Did Lotus make a bad car good? Is Red Bull going to win races or rue the fact that they and STR are the only Renault-powered machines? Will STR go faster than Red Bull? Join us as we watch a new golden era unfold as Formula One once again pushes technological heights. Join us as five new drivers test their mettle and perhaps the veterans' patience. Join us for a 20-race calendar spanning from mid-March to the end of November. Join me and Jim Lau and Jamie Price this year as we bring you all the action, the drama, the ingenuity, the unique and irreplaceable experience that is Formula One Grand Prix Racing. Welcome to the Fun With Cars Formula One Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 174 of the Fun With Cars F1 Podcast for coverage of the first race of the 2015 Formula One season, the Australian Grand Prix. I'm so excited that we are back to racing. I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner. Really thrilled to be able to share this with you and talk about all the fun stuff that happened on and off the track and got lots off the track. Right. So uh, we had a week, just a week ago, we had our last preseason show, um, which seems like a long time ago now. Now that we've got racing, uh, all the, the testing and the preseason drama kind of just fades away. But we do have some follow up uh, from people sharing their insights and thoughts with us uh, in the, you know, just in the last few days. 
So uh, we got a couple emails, uh, one of which from Wes Toman uh, about predictions, actually, um, who's saying, you know, okay, right now everyone uh, on Facebook can take part in predictions. Some people don't like Facebook, Wes included, and uh, and that there's sort of the uh, the heuristic approach of Damien, which is just, you know, whatever happened last time is going to happen again. The what I think will happen approach, which is my approach, uh, speaking as Jim. Um, and then uh, what do you say, Robin's approach, that what I wish would happen, which Wes is calling Robin's approach. I, I, I'm still working on my ability to will my own reality into reality. And we'll talk plenty about predictions later on in the show. <laughs> but um, what, uh, so what, what Wes proposes is what about the lock one set of predictions for the entire season approach and saying, okay, how accurate would it come out for especially a season like this um, for uh, Rosberg on pole and Hamilton for the win? Just the whole season, just to lock it in now and and leave it that way. So um, that's actually interesting. We'll we'll keep tabs on tabs on that and how that goes um, throughout the season. Today, that would be a one point uh, result, which exactly is right. not a bad way to go. Um, although, uh, again, we have plenty more to talk about with uh, lots of lots of folks doing pretty well in predictions and a few doing not so well. Yeah. Um, so. Um, anyway, he says he's neither a Rosberg nor a Hamilton nor Mercedes fan, um, and the static prediction pains him greatly. But sort of thinks that that's the uh, looks unfortunately plausible. And from the first race, at least, uh, I you know, kind of agree with that. But uh, of course, there's plenty you know plenty of racing to go in the 2015 season, and uh, who knows what'll happen? Indeed, indeed. And we got a, a group of emails actually from Scott Christie, who was very nice to send us some audio clips as well, uh, kind of just giving us like a play by play of the different teams as they as they uh, whisk by and it's quite interesting to hear and he also makes a brief mention of Australian V8 supercars i have no idea what those are oh come on i don't think anyone doubts that you know V8 supercars sound great of as course. do NASCAR stock cars you know in a similar way just there's nothing wrong with a big V8 with a you know very simple exhaust making lots of noise that's very cool it it's quite cool we love it we we absolutely love it it is and it is a fascinating juxtaposition because it is amazing how different Formula One cars sound now. It used to be V8 to V8, but the Formula One cars were much smaller and revved higher. But now we're getting farther and farther removed from that. So it was V6s fascinating to hear and turbos and high revving. Yeah. And hybrid, electric, lots of things, lots of different shafts spinning and, you know, makes, makes hay in different ways. The hay shafts are just going really fast now. And uh, we also got uh, an email from Craig Rose, who put in, uh, I will say, a quite noble effort into making his own uh, spreadsheet of his alternate point system. It's quite cool. His point system gives 45 points to the winner and goes on down all the way to 22nd place. And the idea being, let's take, let's take this... Um, this game of guessing who did the best without points completely out of the picture. If you were there, you score a point. Right. If unless it, well, we if get you, more than 22 cars. Or if you finish, I guess, uh, would be the thing, right? right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so that would be the thing, which would have been a factor today, of course, with well, as few cars. I don't cars. even think it's if you finish. I think it's if you start. Oh, well, that's yeah. a whole other thing. So that, that, that'll take a little bit of time for us to go through that spreadsheet, and we just got that this morning. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that later on. And, Craig, as you might imagine, I've worked on a spreadsheet or two of my own. Right. Uh, we also have lots of feedback from Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, it was funny watching, uh, reading some of the tweets uh, today after the race because, you know, uh, with the time zones and whatnot, we did not have the ability to get together to watch any of these sessions live or podcast. Yes. Um, so there are many of those time zones in between Australia and us. Right. So as much as it, it is fun to watch a race starting at like 1 a.m., which I think it would have done here um, 
that that's great. You know, you watch it at one, it ends up at sort of three or three thirty in the morning, whatever. That's fine. Um, but then for us to do a podcast after that at between sort of four or five, six in the morning after being awake all the time, whatever, that that is not the podcast that you guys want to hear. Yeah, if you want to hear something like that, uh, go to our Lamar uh, Engineer Sympathy Special. Yeah, that was Lamar two thousand nine, I believe. Yeah, episode fifty three, which we recorded in June fourteenth. Well, actually, June fourteenth, thirteenth, and fourteenth. It was it was good. Um, yes, that's the thing about a twenty four hour race is it's really long. It was, and then in fact, it was like three in the morning, getting loopy. Five in the morning, oh boy. So right. we decided decided discretion is the better part of valor, and far too late. The next morning, we decided that. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so, so here we are. So here we are. So yeah. So now I'm reading uh, after after seeing what the race results are. People's tweets about qualifying and stuff like that. Um, so we have uh, our friend uh, Joao from uh, I think Brazil, but I'm not sure. Uh, sorry, Portugal. He's from Lisbon. Um, saying, "Oh, McLaren, sad face," which I think uh, sums up uh, some sentiment pretty well. Yeah. I listen. McLaren got a full race distance test in, and that's good. Right. Um, it also says uh, Alonso must be kicking himself. Look at those Ferraris, <laughs> and that's that's kind of a good point, right? Uh, you know, you, Alonso setting this one out, of course, as we talked about, um, you know, and and leaving Ferrari to finally get to a race-winning car. But for the moment, it's not looking like a super strong package. Um, also, we got tweets from uh, Moto Yoyo um, says uh, this is after qualifying now. Um, if my calculation is correct, Kevin Magnussen is only 0.3 seconds within the 107% qualifying rule. Uh, the McLarens can potentially be lapped more than once tomorrow. Hashtag sad. And, well, Hashtag one, that happened. Yeah, so one McLaren was lapped twice. The other McLaren was lapped 58 times Yes, by and, my calculations. Yeah, And you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think that was Kevin Magnuson's fault. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me here, but I, I really think it was outside influences. No, it it's fascinating. I think it was two levels of issues here we had the cars just aren't going great yet but also once they saw what happened to magnuson they turned jensen buttons wick down even further just to be safe just so they could get that race distance in and it it was just really sad to see i mean jensen was lapping three seconds a lap slower than person the next person ahead of him sergio perez let alone the Mercedes up at front, which were light years ahead. Right. So hopefully uh, McLaren and Honda are able to look at the data, figure out what was wrong with the engine, and, you know, make it better. But, yeah, for now, uh, we've gotten a lot of a lot of comments to that effect of uh, basically, uh, you know, this really sucks for uh, sucks for Alonso, um, who hopefully will, you know, take over that car again in a minute, unless he just uh, gives up on the whole thing and says, you know what, that McLaren sucks. Uh, I'm out. Yeah. You know? I, if, if we get a news report that's like, oh, my head, I guess I'm going to – stay out a little more, then we can really start right. getting suspicious. Right now, Fernando is checking his contract to see what happens if he doesn't <laughs> is right. not able to complete the races because of a medical condition. That's right. And they'll say, oh, that's not my fault. Do I still get my millions of dollars? If so, well, hey, you know. Anyway. Yeah, because he does like bicycle racing, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. So he can find other stuff to do that's yeah. uh, a little different. Um, we got also uh, a Facebook message from Juan Gonzalez, just to uh, to wrap up on the uh, follow-up portion of our show here. Yes. Um, asking about the uh, predictions game a little bit. Um, wondering about actually why predictions from last year weren't carried over. Um, and basically, that's um, it's, it's a whole new game as far as the uh, predictions, as far as the, the, the program and everything is concerned. Um, it's a different you know, different year. There's different drivers, uh, one different team. Well, no more catering and Manor and whatnot. So 
um, it is sort of a, a, a new thing. And because of scores and everything reset, um, you know, that is, is, everything a new, starts is a new fresh start for the new year. Yes. Um, we tried to get the word out with the, uh, the show last week and some updates on Facebook and all that. So um, if anyone has not yet taken part in predictions, it's There's certainly not too late. Lots of time. Right. Yeah. We um, still have 19 races to go, which was the beginning of last season. That's how many races there were. Right. Um, he also thinks uh, instead of doing uh, predicting qualifying and then the race um, that we should just all be predicting the podiums and then, you know, just like pick three drivers and then you get the total of points on that and whatever, um, which um, is, is an interesting uh, an interesting take on it. It's just kind of uh, getting away from the simple nature of what we started out to, to do and then that uh, Neil Popham graciously volunteered to actually make into a real program on Facebook. Studly. Um, which Predictions just, stud. Yeah. Who's going to win and, you know, and then, uh, you know, who's going to be on poll. So, yeah, the um, whole idea is how do you make something really easy to digest, simple to fun and play with, fun, <laughs> simple and fun to play with and easy to bounce back and forth. And look, it does at times seem real simple. And then someone has a bad back and ruins your predictions for some reason, all of a sudden it, things happen is the point. And it's not, it's not a mind game to see who has the greatest intelligence here, more of a just for fun bouncing point, a way to break the ice to have the discussion, which we love doing. We do. Um, so thank you as always for people, uh, keeping up with us on the Facebook page and tweeting at us. Uh, our hashtag is FW cars, uh, which is fun during race events, especially when we're taking part live. But even if we're not, uh, you know, just finding other fun with cars listeners and, uh, and talking about it online is always a good way to go. Um, again, there's, uh, far more, um, you know, messages and, and tweets and everything than we can mention all at once, but, uh, we always appreciate people taking part and really the best way to, uh, to interact with us is to visit funwithcars.com where you can comment on the shows directly and find links to all of our other stuff from there. So getting into the race weekend itself, practice happened. Practice was great, but practice is just a little bit too much like testing. I really just want to jump into qualifying. Yeah. First point to make. I was very, very eager to look at this. I wanted to compare qualifying um, from 2014 to qualifying 2015 times because there's a lot of talk about the cars should have more horsepower and all this kind of stuff, but also that, hey, these cars are going to speed up anyway, and they're going to make more horsepower anyway. Well, it had there was wet qualifying in Australia last year. Yeah, so we it was kind of mixed conditions, right? But, but Q1 looked like dry times to me. So I looked at Q1 times um, from 2014 to Q, Q1 times this year. Q1 to Q1 we saw roughly a two-second improvement oh, in wow. lap time. I mean, these cars are, are fast. Do not discount the new power units. Do not discount the noise they make. They are producing serious power. And one way that they are way up on the V8s is they make a lot more torque. And torque is really, in many ways, the the real number. So I, I guess it's, this is just my moment to say these cars are already faster I think it's possible, it's possible that we might see a 2004 um, overall record broken this year with these new cars. Right, and that's always been the, the track record at a lot of circuits, uh, and, you know, especially circuits if, if they were there in 2004, obviously, uh, but like Monza and stuff where it's a power circuit. Um, I think it's actually Rubens Barrichello that holds the lap record at Monza, if I'm not mistaken. But, it's possible. Um, but it's yeah, Michael it's, Schumacher so many places. Right, and it's, yeah, the, you know, top of the V10 era and then, you know, just the best car at the time with the best driver in it, and uh, that would be Schumacher in most cases. So um, that's that's usually the overall record. But, yeah, it's an interesting point to see how close we can get and if, if 
in some cases, will set new lap records at some of the classic circuits, uh, which would be really cool. Um, of course, one team we talked about uh, briefly in the, uh, in the in the run-up, and then certainly last week we were really hopeful about, is Manor F1 team. Um, yeah. And this, of course, is from the Ashes of Marusha. And I was really, really keen to see them show up in practice or show up in qualifying, you know, to get there for the race. And they just could not get the cars put together. They um, couldn't get them started. Yeah. Um, so we don't know uh, much more than that yet as far as what the actual problem is, but apparently it's just, I mean, we know that these are very complicated machines. There's lots of electronics and things that need to talk to each other um, and, and various different systems. So in a way, um, you sort of think like, oh, how hard can it be to start a car? But in this case, they're really pretty finicky things. So just getting everything talking, getting the wheel communicating with um, with everything else um, was, in this case, just too much to uh, to do. So um, true. the cars did not ever fire up. Uh, they were there, and they have a very simple livery. But it's actually really nice because it's like it's just it's just like red and white and just looks cool and looks simple and clean and uh, and it's sort of in in funny contrast to some of these. Uh, I like the McLaren. I really am not feeling it this year. You know, it's the sort it's of the same. L- yeah, it's similar, but just a little bit more. Uh in your face and blunt about it but it's like the red but it only goes up to the mirrors and then the mirrors are red i don't know but it's like they're sort of like let's just make it really really simple that is not our main priority here um so anyway the car looks cool it's a really cool underdog story i really really hope that the cars can get put together in time for malaysia um and uh, and that we'll see them there but um but answer me a question this is the 2014 car updated to 2015 regulations i'm sure it's got 2015 engines instead of 2014 but that may be all the difference, you know? I mean, this but do you, it's, it's hard for me to get my head around. Well, why couldn't they even get these cars to start? That's, that's where I'm having a hard time. It's like, isn't it similar to last year? Well, all their stuff got sold in the auctions and stuff. So they're like, you oh, know, stuff, you know, well, like maybe starters. Well, maybe <laughs> I mean, I might've, they may have been trying to pull start on it and we just, we just don't know. But, uh, so originally there was an FIA investigation. Oh my God. If there was a manor F1 with a, like a rip cord on it. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a kickstart. It's like a it's like a oh, scooter. Oh, yeah, it's like a motorcycle. Yeah, you know the driver's got to get out and anyway. Um, so originally there was an, S- uh, an FIA investigation about the team to say it's sort of like why didn't you start the race and this is maybe a penalty or a problem. Which I don't know how you penalize a team that hasn't even got a car that runs. Um, no, but you 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 don't let them start the car. It's like oh you owe, you owe us money and they were like yeah that's funny. Um, but no, <laughs> uh, they were they were cleared over the qualifying no show. So um, you know the well good yeah they were. Well, because there, there is Article 13.2F of the Sporting Regulations, which requires teams to participate in every round of the championship. Um, but then there was a uh, – uh, they supplied a written explanation for their absence, and further evidence was supplied. And so, they weren't absent. They they were obviously trying to – there was no zero-zip reason for them to not do that. There was no gain for them this way, of course. Everyone knows that. That's entirely clear. So thank goodness the FIA said, yeah, okay, we we get it. Right, and so and what they said was uh, Manor would not have been able to achieve a software configuration that allowed the two cars to then be operated in practice or qualifying session, even if they had worked outside the curfew requirements. So, you know, even though the cars physically were there, it was really just kind of, you know, get the firmware versions all sorted out, guys, and it's all, not yeah. always an easy thing to do. Right, right. And it it's fascinating because that brought us down to 18 cars, and that really ended up being only being the beginning. Uh Valtteri Botas, he nobly qualified sixth. Um, Felipe Massa was able to do quite well in the Williams to qualify third to make it a Mercedes 1-2-3 in terms of qualifying. But after the fact, uh, Valtteri uh, complained of a bad uh, of back problems. Right. Well, he was seen being like helped from the car, so it was during during qualifying, either going over some bumps or one of the one of the several times that he ran wide. That uh, for whatever reason, he just you know hit a funny angle and apparently had some soft tissue damage in his back. 
So it was uh, clearly a, a result of his qualifying uh, session that then you know he had this back issue and and what to I, a certain extent though you got to imagine that something happened he wasn't completely 100 percent beforehand and something was there and just got tweaked worse that that's my own personal thing like what do you know about back injuries come on well you are the back expert <laughs> yeah and mine was very different no I mean, yeah it's it could be that it, it which is hard to know i mean with an athlete at this level like he's been through um all manner of formula one sessions and some crashes and some spins and all no, kinds no, no. of stuff he drove for williams let alone uh, um uh, let alone um, just the training and everything else that he's done. So yeah, there's very likely something else that that uh, that was in there before. So we don't know um, exactly, but it was something that it was not a problem for him before the qualifying session. And then afterwards, he was like limping from the car. So it was later determined, um, you know, he wasn't able to get out of the car uh, quickly enough for sort of the safety requirements. Right, it's um, five seconds you have to. Like uh, unbelt yourself and get out. And yeah. It's like if your car is on fire or, you know, something crazy has happened or it's about to be on, you know, whatever, you need to get out of the car quickly. And he wasn't. So, uh, which that, that's got a, obviously that sucks. He doesn't get any, uh, um, you know, get a, a chance to even uh, do well in the race at all. Um, but also because he had already qualified the car, they couldn't change drivers. They couldn't put in a reserve driver. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, Williams doesn't have a reserve driver. Well, no, that can't be true. That's what I thought. But uh, so that, that was one of the questions. Is I wrote a little story about that, actually, that they had uh, – oh, I, I, I want to say Alex Lloyd, but I know that's not well, it. Well, they have test drivers and, of course, Susie Wolf, uh, very famously. Right. Um, and then – but they, they have listed – because now the questions are, okay, well, what if Valtteri Bottas isn't, uh, isn't well enough for Malaysia if, if his back problem continues – as those things kind of do sometimes, um, you know, will we see Susie Wolf in the car, which of course is exciting in its own way. Right. Um, and they said, oh, no, actually she's our test driver. She's not in line for that. She's not a reserve driver. Um, well, but Alex Lynn, who was hired at the end of, in the end of January, w- was hired to be, I thought, the reserve driver. I would have thought so too, but apparently not. Um, so they're talking about possibly Pascal Verlein, um, who is... Wait, um, so they're going to have a third guy. They're going to have two test drivers and then a third guy. Or a second guy and a third person. <laughs> I mean, this right. Well, that's 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 what uh, what the team is saying. So um, you know, we'll have to see. Hopefully, I think you know Baltari Botas is back in action and it's fine and none of this matters. But it is an interesting question when you've got all these test drivers and um, yeah. I mean that know. that that's that's hard for me to that's hard for me to understand. So come on, Claire. <laughs> we know you're better than this. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe if, if it could be Susie Wolf's debut, that, that would be exciting uh, in, in a, oh, you know, the, a first in the modern era. For, that would uh, be really fantastic because uh, Toto would be in a real pickle. And I, I would actually, I would want to see a healthy amount of the Formula One coverage to be on Toto <laughs> if Susie was in the car racing. It's like, who do I cheer for? Oh, oh! I mean, ah. that—that's you know. Ever since you know, Susie Wolf was has been you know a serious contender for for any of this stuff. You know, that's been talked about. It's like, wait, but Toto was a shareholder in Williams, but now he raises for this, and now he sold a bunch of his Williams shares. But I mean, that's always been kind of a weird, uh, you know, weird little setup there. But and uh, Williams is Mercedes powered, so there's it's not completely divorced. But and we don't want them to be either. I mean, th- <laughs> this is it's it's a proper. I mean, this is kind of like. If Bravo were to take over Formula One, this would be a much more likely scenario to talk about, but uh, it is still a fascinating question mark. Anyway, I think what we saw in qualifying in Australia in a general sense was that Williams has improved um, a little bit over last year. Ferrari has improved quite a bit over last year. So now Williams and Ferrari are neck and neck. However, if anything, they are farther behind Mercedes than they were last year. I mean, it was kind of devastating the performance that Mercedes put in for qualifying and the race. Right. 
and there's uh, not a lot to say about that. Um, but uh, Christian Horner, um, you know, famously at Red Bull uh, with Renaults, and of course now it's just STR is the only other Renault team, um, has said, oh, we need to take action to equalize engine performance. Um, you know, it's just like kind of, I guess, what you would say when you're on the back foot, right? Of course. Um, you know, I don't, I don't remember him calling for that in, uh, you know, 2000, uh, what, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Uh, right. I think he was saying, oh, the yeah, performance is okay. I think everything's fine. Yeah, that no. was a coincidence. No, yeah. Actually, no, that's not true. There were oftentimes they said, well, the Renault is a little bit down on power, even when they were winning. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. But, um, you know, so it's, he's just saying, you know, the, the dominance of Mercedes is bad for F1. And it's, it is tough, you know, for, for sort of, it, it sounds a little bit like sore losers. But I think, um, I think it's, a, it's still a valid point, though. I mean, it, it's not as exciting of a race. I mean, this was not an exciting race, to be clear, partly because we had so few cars taking part. I mean, we started talking about Botas, and let alone, um, you know, we had, what, Daniel Kafiat um, having the failure right yeah. at the beginning. Well, once we got um, to race day, Kevin, Kevin Magnussen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, then the, and then both the Lotuses had to retire. And it was just like. Right. It, Ooh, and Maldonado had a crash that was not his fault. Right. We want that point to be made quite clearly. Right. He was an innocent bystander. So anyway, it was, uh, you know, we got down to, what was it, 12 cars finishing? 11. Yeah, 11. <laughs> yeah. And Jensen Button just outside the point. Right. No, um, it was uh, uh, Max uh, Verstappen. He um, he, he retired the car like 10 laps to go. Yeah. And then uh, Kimi Raikkonen, he had to uh, retire the car. It looked like the left rear tire was not bolted on securely or wasn't able to take the old one. It was something right. wrong with the left rear corner of the car. Yes. Well, the car wasn't, it, the wheel wasn't tight, which you think is an automatic penalty, right? That's an unsafe release. Although, um, you know, the Ferrari International Assistance Organization um, said that he's avoiding a penalty for that uh, because Ferrari took all the action. As soon as they noticed that the, that the thing was damaged, they, they called in and radioed to stop the car and all that, which... Seems I mean, all four wheels were still attached. They were still attached. No Nothing... bolt came flying off onto the track, and they stopped themselves. Right. I, I, I mean, yes, FIA, Ferrari assistance, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is fairly legit that they pulled themselves out of the race before any damage was caused towards anyone else. Right. Although that's what, what we've seen in the past, though, is other cases where no damage happened to anyone else, and... You know, as soon as they realized that they stopped, but we still got penalties because it's like, oh, well, the, the release was unsafe and this is something we don't compromise on. So to be fair, this is the first of 2015. If the rules have been tweaked slightly or the, uh, you know, kind of the thinking of the stewards and just kind of the like, OK, this is what we're going to this is what's OK and this is what's not OK, then this is the first example. So it's not like we already have examples from this year and this is not necessarily consistent, but this will be I think this is good. This actually makes sense um, as a penalty um, or as a lack of penalty, um, because we are, you, you know, it's just not overly draconian. It's not just overly like, oh, penalty for the sake of it. Um, right. Because so keep keep this up, FIA, right. is what we're like, saying. Mistakes happen, but if you act on them as quickly as possible and, you know, clearly take it seriously, then, you know, what else can you ask for? So Right. If this exact same scenario happens, but they get a penalty, it was like, oh, because your cars aren't red, so they're harder to see and that's dangerous or something. I, <laughs> that would be bad. That would be the greatest safety argument <laughs> as if like, well, the Ferraris are okay. They're bright red. They're bright red. You can see them. But that McLaren, I don't know. That's awfully silvery. Is it there? And it blends Is it somewhere else? The sky. I don't know. It's just reflective. Yeah. And I just couldn't tell. So. Um, anyway, so that, that obviously sucks for Raikkonen because the Ferraris do look, do look reasonable this year, but, um, you know, they don't get a penalty at least. So they're not, that's not a what, 10 grid spot penalty for the next race, which would suck in Malaysia for them. Of course. Let's backtrack a little bit. Yes. I think of all the cases, all the things that happened, you know, we went from 20 cars to 11. So we lost just about 50% here. For me, the worst luck was Kevin Magnuson because he didn't do anything. He was literally, um, just getting the car to his grid spot 
and it just failed. The engine quit. And this was, for what we know right now, his only race this year. He is the he is speaking of reserve drivers. He is the reserve driver, mm-hmm. and he had a chance to remind people of his capabilities, of his performance, and it just completely fell apart on him. Yeah. So again, hopefully Alonso's fine, and we'll be back in the car. But uh, that really sucks for Magnussen because that would have been his chance to sort of still show, hey, I've still got it, and it's great. Um, and and you know, I, I, you shouldn't have fired me, or even if not, sort of negative like that, just like, hey guys, I'm still here and I'm still really solid. But uh, just never even had the chance. So well, hold on. Let's. See. He is still there, and he is really solid. We agree with that. That's we he think was really that's the on case. that first half lap. He was great, and then the engine quit, and he didn't do anything wrong what we're what we're saying what i'm saying is that he should not have been i'm still very skeptical of alonzo being hired in the first place but given that he did everything he could and it's just really a shame that it happened the way that did it it obviously it's a shame for botas as well um the other one that's curious is uh romain grosjean he did not have any specific accident on track you know maldonado was literally caught out and bent uh half the car um but Romain, he was pulled into the pits and retired. Oh man, see, I was looking at that before, and see, now I was trying to, I was trying to go on this, uh, the Williams thing, um, trying to look that up while you were talking. Now you caught me out because I don't remember what the deal was with Grosjean's car. But while you're checking that, um, the so this is Claire Williams uh, speaking uh, for the the Williams team, of course, um, says that uh, this is from BBC. Um, Susie Wolf will not is not in contention, um, is not in consideration, although she refused to confirm the likely deputy. Susie Wolf is our test test driver, not our reserve driver. And she says it's not her place to say whether Botas will be in Malaysia. It's a very small tear, and it's a case of waiting. Um, and, uh, you know, talks about uh, – so apparently Botas did get out of the car within the five-second time or whatever the time. Yeah, five seconds. Um, but he was in a lot of pain while doing so, and they thought uh, – you know, and the, I guess the doctors thought he may have a problem doing that again. I mean, if you're in a lot of pain but just barely make it, that is kind of a judgment call. Um, so they said, okay, that you know, may not be safe. And uh, and also doing further damage, of course, you know, racing and putting yourself under that kind of strain when you've got a back injury could be could be more problems. Um, so it says here, this is again BBC. Um, the team does not have a designated reserve driver, with only test drivers Wolf and development driver Alex Lynn on their books. So, you know, it's all it all seems very like okay, of course, a test reserve, t- test driver, reserve driver, development driver, it all kind of you know falls into the same category uh, from the outside. But apparently, they're very specific about well, no, that's it seems like. You know, I don't know. Seems like it'd be a good opportunity to get Susie Wolf in the car, but if they don't think she's ready or whatever, then fair enough. Um, so uh, yeah, it would be. So they say it would be unlikely to be Lynn, who has just graduated from GP3 and has very limited F1 experience. Um, but uh, they think because of the team's link with Mercedes, um, it could be Pascal Wehrlein, um, who's been uh, that's Mercedes reserve driver, um, who they could put in the car, who has experience both in the Mercedes and the Force India from testing, uh, which is interesting. So it would be potentially you know the fourth person in the row or whatever that uh, could get that job. Um, fro, from Romain Grosjean himself, we had a loss of power on the formation lap. There was a technical issue, which we are investigating. It's not how you want to end your race, but we know the car is good and we're miles ahead of where we were last season. We have a good baseline with the E23 and a good engine. We also have new pieces that we are bringing over for the next races. So more performance coming. Yeah, and he made the point to say that's a good engine in there as well. Of course, you know, no longer the Renault. They're they're probably happy to uh, to get rid of that. And uh, unlike Alonso, they I don't think have any reason to uh, to regret that choice because it does seem to be a much stronger package um, when they can make it work. Yeah, well, uh, race results notwithstanding, the Lotus does seem quite good and much better. I mean, you know, uh, 
Romain Grosjean qualified that car, qualified the car ninth. He was in Q3 right from the beginning, and uh, as was Pastor Maldonado. He qualified in the back of it, but he was 10th. So they both made it Q3 in the Lotus with Mercedes power. Um, however, there is uh, another guy we got to talk about, another team that's really had a beautiful turnaround, at least in the car performance, which is uh, the Sauber and young Brazilian Felipe Nasser. He's been quite impressive. Yeah, and Marcus Erickson, who was in the Sauber last year. Marcus Erickson, I, he, he brings the Finnish smile. We've got the Australian smile. Now we have the Finnish smile. We don't get the Finnish smile from the other Finnish driver. But he's, so it's nice. But he's Swedish, but still. Whatever. Not the point. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Both the has, Swedish both has smile. smiles sometimes. Yes. The, the, the Nordic smile, shall we say. God, I, wow, I failed miserably on that. Yes, the Nordic <laughs> smile. Botas is also Finnish. I'm bad at this. No problem. But no, he's uh, he's uh, he seemed you know genuinely really really happy to to get some points. And, and he's of like, course he should be. I mean he's in a much more competitive car. Right. And it's of course it's all new for Felipe Nazar um, being an F1 and all that. So it's like, well, this feels awesome. And it probably would have felt awesome even if he'd been outside the points just to like finish the race and do well. But um, yeah, to, to for both drivers to get points um, is a huge a huge step forward. Felipe um, Nasser in his debut with Sauber. A a, a car that barely scored didn't score any points last year. Mm-hmm. He finished fifth, and he scored ten points. Right on his debut. Right, that's on a really fantastic result. Yeah, and I mean, you have to say that was helped slightly by the fact that there was uh, only one Ferrari going, and that the mm-hmm. Red Bulls were way off, and one of the Red Bulls wasn't going, and the Lotuses were both stopped, and whatever. But, but to make it through all the the nonsense that was happening in the race, and for the team to be able to put together a car that was reliable, and to do that, which was obviously not a trivial tra- task either, um, to uh, you know to get through all that and and you know make it all work, uh, is uh, worth applauding. So. Uh, well done to so, uh, to both drivers, but, that's but exactly Felipe Nasser especially we're as applauding. yeah as uh, as a rookie and being new to it, and then also having this whole drama with Guido Vandergaard over their head of um, you know suing for damages and oh I should be the driver it's, and, it's suing and winning yeah which is which is weird because what what he's suing for and saying that he should win is the opportunity to pay the team lots of money to drive. So what are the, what are the damages? It's like it's like oh I have this you know career and my career would have been great and uh, you know how good would am I you know now that's like the good race result for Sauber is almost worse for Guido because now it's like um, see how see how well I could have done because this car is so good um, so you know like now it's even worse that I wasn't in the car or had the ability to pay you guys lots of money so that I could be in the car um, and then show the world how excellent I am and then I could be a multi bajillionaire so I need my drive back like. That, yeah, it, hopefully that gets resolved, but it's 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 weird that they, he sort of won the case and then they made the safety point to say, oh, well, you haven't tested this car, so it's not really safe for you to run, which is like uh, kind of nonsense. But I mean, it's – well, it's total nonsense because the Manor, the Manor F1 team was going to run if they right. started their car. So it, it's – for me, what it shows more than anything else is how ridiculous contracts have become and how how easily people break them. You know what I mean? It's just – it it just loses all faith in contracts and takes away any of their weight, any of their teeth. They're just pieces of paper that people use as, well, they're sort of guidelines. Well, and so I have to say, and you may be on the same boat, but um, I, I agree with Guido in, in what he's trying to do. Like, I think he's in the right spot um, with the problem. And the problem is, okay, I was signed up. You know, He was a race driver at Caterham, but still he was a race driver. Um, and then took a contract to be a reserve driver for a year or a test driver or a development driver. I don't know. <laughs> reserve driver, I'm pretty sure, uh, for a year. <laughs> yeah. And then with the with the promise somehow written in the contract that he would have a race drive, a race seat after that. 
for and, 2015. And if they are not fulfilling that promise, which they are not, then that's a problem. But where it, where it starts to get a little hazy, it's like, is this the right way to go about this, though? Because now, if he if he did have a race, if they, he says, oh, I assume that I win, and so now in Malaysia he he races and does okay or whatever whatever happens, um, it seems like other teams aren't going to want to do do business with him because if they're like, oh, he's sort of you know going to the courts and it's it's a little bit I don't know, it sort of isn't done commonly at least um, to sort of. It, maybe it should be because, you know, it seems like contracts, if you sign a document, that should be enforced and you should be held to what was signed in your contract. But to it seems like there's there's other ways of getting, you know, getting a problem resolved than kind of going to the courts and then adding to what a small team like Sauber already has to do to, uh, to you know, get their race weekend going and all that. And uh, it, it's like it's, it's a crappy situation on both sides. But um, it seems like, I don't know, the lawsuit angle uh, seems like a weird way to try and solve it if you want to, you know, basically further your career in Formula One as a driver. Uh, yeah, I I see your point entirely. It's it's hard for me because it it was clear as day. It was right there in the contract, and now judges have also agreed. Said yeah, it says right there. So it's kind of like, well, why did Sauber go through what it went through to not use him if they had that? You know what I mean? Like it it seems like well, they could a, get a lot of money from Ericsson and Nazar. So, right. It's a, it's a simple error. It's a simple error that's kind of, you know, compounded and become this. Well, you wonder where that decision was made, where, like, both at the the personnel, you know, if that was everyone in the Sauber team, like, oh, what we really need to do is we need to hire Felipe Nazar. Like, we have this opportunity to get this Benko to Brazil sponsorship, blah, blah, blah. Like, they must have known. Someone must have known. Like, oh, by the way, you know, we do still have a contract with Guido Vandergaard. Like, it wasn't like they were in, in talks of running three cars and then all of a sudden that fell through. I mean, it's like this decision was made a long time ago. Um, by someone, and I, I just kind of wonder how they arrived at that conclusion. That hey, you know what the right thing to do here is like, yeah, well, screw Guido uh, or whatever they're thinking. Maybe they're thinking, oh no, this is this is going to work out well for everyone. Um, but something like, oh, he gets a seat in the manor, and then oh, that doesn't work. I, I don't know. Like you wonder just kind of how it got to this point because it seems like um, Guido's in the right um, that he would have to go to the courts. Um, but then it seems like okay, once you get to that point, it seems like there's a way to uh, talk this out or, or figure it out with you know with the team and with your kind of management or whatever, you know, whatever is involved without, without sort of, you know, suing someone, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, it's sticky is the point and it's, and it's unfortunate. And I agree with you that both sides uh, could have handled this better and resolved this in a more simple way. And, but it's come, it's come to this taking that, uh, putting that aside for a moment, the sober car itself is performing much better. And it is showing real promise of, uh, even with uh, a full lineup, sh- uh, performing well. So I'm and I, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Felipe Nasser so far. And there was also a lot of talk about uh, Max Verstappen, the youngest guy to ever be in Formula One racing. He did a he did a solid job until he had to retire the car, and it does it it does show that. In modern F1 racing, you don't necessarily have to be 25 or 20 or, or, you know, whatever. You can be younger. You don't have to necessarily have um, age alone to perform. And even his interviews after the uh, after the race and, you know, after a really disappointing day, he wasn't really like, oh, man, this sucks. My team is terrible. Whatever. He was like, he was really professional about it and really, you know, really cool and all that. And I think, um, you know, having your, your father with F1 experience to, uh, to sort of 
talk you through these things and all that, let alone, of course, his, you know, the other people working with him and his team and all that. Um, he's really, you know, I was, I was quite impressed with him and Carlos Sainz Jr., to be honest. Carlos um, Sainz was quite impressive. You know, so the STRs look quite strong, um, arguably stronger than the Red Bull um, in some cases. Um, you know, it, it was a surprise to see Ricardo back as far as he was and uh, just sort of saying, yeah, we took a step back from testing and testing things were going okay. And here, either everyone else has moved way forward or we've taken a step back or something, but, you know, it's just not, not working like it should be. Um, which was which was too bad because you know Ricardo, um, of course, third in the championship last year. He was the other. He was the non Mercedes guy that was, uh, you know, in contention for for wins and got some. And the only other guy that was really in contention for the championship anywhere near the end. And uh, to see him just so far back is uh, is disappointing. But it is exciting to see the rookies, um, you know, both the STR guys and then and like we talked about uh, Nasser and the Sauber and so on, um, just being right there in it. So. As as we always say, with from one race to the next, you know, it's like oh, I'm really looking forward to the next one to really see how things shake out. You know, hopefully the McLarens are better, and hopefully Valtteri Bottas is back in the car, and hopefully you know Manor well, Manor runs and, and Alonso. We're, I mean, if we're going to talk about that now, yeah, so, exactly. Since you brought the, I did want to talk about Kimi Raikkonen for a moment. The other Ferrari driver, uh, Sebastian Vettel, got a lot of attention being the Ferrari. It's always been a dream, and on and on. I just want to make the point that in this first race weekend, it was very clear to me that Kimi Raikkonen is much happier with this car, much stronger. He qualified behind Sebastian Vettel by, I think, four or five hundredths of a second. He then had a better start than Vettel and almost made a pass. And you could argue argue Vettel was a little bit overly aggressive of keeping him back. But even with all that, he pushed his way back up. He was in the top five and performing well. Raikkonen was the one that did not get a penalty for for Ferrari with the bad wheel. And this is on. This is during. <laughs> he did the, a great job uh, not getting that. Well, penalty. I mean that is, wasn't his fault to be obviously of course, but, not yeah. his fault at all. My point is is that for all the talk about Vettel, Raikkonen was right there, and we're not going to see a repeat of last year where they have one driver that's getting all the points and another driver not. He's much happier with his car. Well, so far one driver has all the points, but I see what you're saying. You see what I'm saying. He's doing much better, and I'm excited to see Raikkonen in a stronger car that is suited to him better make make some great results for the team again. And uh, to that end, uh, I also want to say that given the circumstances, Jensen Button did a fantastic job. Just yeah. want to, I want to just, <laughs> I have to say something good about Jensen Button. It's got a, it's got that little disclaimer at the beginning, given the circumstances. Given the circumstances. But yeah, uh, I don't think you can, well, I mean, this, in, the running with Checo, Checo was a, a little bit weird. That, that was a little that weird. Was, that could have gone either way uh, with, you know, Checo kind of sliding out, but also Button could have given more room. So that one, like, it's hard to say one way or the other. I guess we could call that racing incident. But yeah. other than that. It they the two have a touch of history together. Touch is a good word for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they have multiple touches of history. Yes, bang would be another one, or crash, <laughs> or damage. They have a yes, damage of history. They have quite the damage of history. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, the race itself, we just we kept losing cars, and it was a bit about strategy. But really, Nico never really gave Hamilton any serious push for the win. Hamilton was a little stressed out about his fuel rate, but I think that was only just communication coming from a steering wheel, not an actual issue. Right. It was quite 
comfortable for Mercedes to do what they did and how they did it. We've, I mean, that's sort of the first we've talked of Hamilton. It's like, yeah, he was there the whole time and yeah. he was in front and there was never really that close of a push for him. Like, So know. the race wasn't all that terribly exciting in that way, but the podium. <laughs> then Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> showed up. Well, and I had a thought on a whim. I think you and I should have a quick Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation challenge okay so what i was really hoping for is that arnold schwarzenegger would interview toto wolf and then it would be like wait who's even talking because well so Lewis they're Hamilton, both austrian i suppose yeah well and yeah, i mean you've heard toto like he just kind of also has that like slightly kind of slow cadence sometimes with the, right. that, the austrian that that's all you need and then that's like close enough but arnold our... arnold does have that just like tiny twinge of hollywood that right. totally is part of his voice yeah so which uh, you know, it was hilarious though to see like it seems like it was a last second thing because Jackie Stewart was on the podium, Sir Jackie Stewart, exactly, and uh, and and it was like oh probably Jackie Stewart's gonna do the interviews that'll be cool he's you know he knows his stuff and he's you know good good at you know speaking and all that and Lewis Hamilton was properly and then all of a sudden they hang it they hand it over and he's like it's like Lewis Hamilton's like oh Schwarzenegger man Arnold Schwarzenegger. what's up like oh I'm a goal like just yeah like, and wow now your English accent there it was well it's pretty terrible I know hello I know. love hey. <laughs> Hello, governor. Oh, goodness. And which he was, literally, for yeah. a while. Oh, that's a good one. So what, it was funny, though, because Lewis Hamilton did kind of dig on Schwarzenegger. I don't think he realized. He's like, oh, I thought you were taller. It's like, well, he probably was. He's also in his 60s. And, right. you know, it don't. Don't mess with the guy's height too. I mean, much, the dude right? was Mr. Universe, all right? Why you got to mess with him about his height? And he's like, oh, I'm he not wearing Mr. my Univers- high heels today. He <laughs> was Mr. Universe in the 70s. Wow, really? Yeah, I mean, he was born in 1947. Wow, something you, like that. You I know mean, an he, awful lot about Arnold Schwarzenegger. My well, friend. you know, when you're when you're recovering from surgeries, you have some downtime. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> today I learned. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with an impression. You hit me back with an impression, and then listeners can say which one of us did better. Oh, good. <laughs> and now that I built it up, I, I I'm not I'm losing confidence here. What is it like to impersonate Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, see, what you got to do is you have to over-enunciate because every once in a while you have to get down. Get down. Get to the chopper. <laughs> okay. That was that. That was that. But it was funny, too, because he was like, oh, it's wonderful to watch the Formula One racing. What what do you do to stay in shape? <laughs> yeah, it was it was all back to back to fitness, and then well, so it was you know uh, my favorite was when he goes to Nico Rossi. He's like, "What is it like to come in second place to Lewis?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, great, thanks, buddy." Like first loser. Yeah. What what's that like? You are the man who is very fast, but you are not as fast as this man over here. I so desperately because we had uh, a you know quasi German, I mean German technically in Nico Rosberg, and then we had a very German. German in Sebastian Vettel, and I so desperately wanted some German to just creep up and creep into the conversation, but it didn't happen. Well, and so then I thought when um, when Arnold went over to uh, Vettel that he's gonna be like, "What's it like to come in third? And it was like, "What a lame question!" But he's like, "What's it like to drive for Ferrari?" So it's like, "Oh, okay." So either Arnold Schwarzenegger follows F one just the slightest bit to know that like, "Oh, this is new and that's different," or someone was like, "Arnold, ask him this," and which is pretty likely. I think, yeah, the latter. And so because I was I was like waiting for this question, he's like, "What is it like?" And I'm like, "This is what a, what's it like to come in third? Oh, it's good, I guess. You know, always looking, it's, moving forward, blah blah blah. It's, it's not like, as good as second, right? Um, and also not as good. As but first. he's like, "What's it like to drive for Ferrari?" And then 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 uh, Vettel. But just better than fourth. Start speaking in Italian, and then that's just, you know, it all just kind of went pear-shaped from there. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, we must say that given the fact, I mean, it was just a celebrity, but it was still fun. 
And to see Lewis properly starstruck, that was fun. I mean, he was, you could tell, that was real. He right. was, he and was then like, it, oh and, my God. And then, of course, they went with, I'll be back for the end. And that, Which, you know. but, but, yes, it was cheesy, but it was done in a fun way. It was cheesy kind of knowing it would be cheesy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And Schwarzenegger is now to the point where he can just embrace, like, okay, these are the things I'm known for. Let's just like, have I some did, fun with I it. I did this one thing in this one movie so long ago, and everyone, I'm sure it's like, between that and like, hasta la vista, baby. Like, it's just, you know. That's his thing, and people must say that to him every day of his life. Somebody probably says that to him. And you know what uh, else people must say to him every day? He's like, God, I thought you were taller. Yeah, well, that that would suck. Yes. <laughs> now I will find my younger self and cross you. So the impression thing carries on. Well, I mean, it comes and goes. All right. So, uh, I mean, that, I don't know. what The race, like you say, if we didn't know what was going on, that... Um, that all this development had just happened in the off season, and that was you know kind of this drama with you know some teams changing power units and all these things, and that some of these guys it was their first race ever and all that. If you didn't know that, you'd look at the race and be like, eh, you know, some cars don't make it to the end. That sucks. Some cars blow up even at the beginning, <laughs> like, and and then nobody's really passing each other for quite a long time here. Um, so I, I agree in that way. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that future races will be you know will have you know. I guess just better performance out of um, more cars to start, and then closer performances from the ones that are that are still going um, to just keep things uh, keep things more interesting. Because on that on that you know rating, that was not terribly exciting, but it was exciting to like yeah. actually have a race after the testing and the long off season and all that. Well, and it was fascinating to me because this race felt a lot more appropriate for what 2014 would be like. These were brand new uh, technologies being introduced into the sport. And 2014 was remarkably reliable, considering everything that happened. Right. After so many cars not doing any testing mileage and right. everything looking really bad. And we're like, oh, we could have one car you know, finish the Australian Grand Prix. And like at the end of it, I don't remember how many it was. I don't know if you still have that in front of you. But no, I don't. It was, but it was, I think it was more than 11. It was 11. more than 11. <laughs> it was more than 11. We started with 22, and we finished with more than 11. And... There was there was more racing and it, it was tighter. You know, mm-hmm. Mercedes did not have I mean, Mercedes completely dominated this race, and they, and uh, so it's odd to see that. And I think my theory is is that everyone in 2014 was being just a little bit conservative because they didn't know what it was going to be like, and they didn't want the cars to totally blow up. So for reliability's sake, they they were dialed back just a little bit. And now that there's been a year that they pushed towards the limit a little bit more and we're, we're finding that some people went beyond the limit. And also we have the combination of the specific chassis packaging with the powertrain and its limitation, its ability to deal with heat and on and on. Yeah. I think, you know, just everyone's seen how dominant Mercedes was. Um, Mercedes is still dominant. And uh, so everyone else has to, has to really push hard to chase them. And, uh, and it's, you know, not yet enough to, uh, to keep moving forward. But that, of course, remains to be seen. How uh, how long this is going to last? If this is going to be all season, or if others will uh, will will you know get in line and uh, and start challenging for podiums and wins? I guess podiums is easy, but for uh, pole positions and wins and uh, and onward from there. Which I think brings us to predictions. Oh, and, uh, lovely, lovely. F- so quickly, we can take a look at how we all did for the uh, for for the predictions from this race, and then of course make predictions for next time. I think that Botas Botas's back was fine and that Williams should be penalized but not the people that predicted Williams that's my that's my t- I think that's the the fair thing to do is you know let's just start over so to Australia be fair didn't happen to be clear 
Um, Robin, you for predictions had Massa on pole, which was which not was a, okay. Whatever, yes, third that place. Was, that's you know best of the non Mercedes. That's that's a solid choice. And then solid. Botas for the win, which is like I don't know how you didn't you didn't you know couldn't foreshadow the fact that uh, his he was going to have a back problem and not even take part in the race. <laughs> so you sir got 19 points for round one, putting you in 81st place out of 83. Out of 83. <laughs> a quick shout out to. Hugh McDonough, who had the same, Masa Botas, and then uh, Matthias Ornhall, who had Botas Botas for a total of 22 points because, of course, he took part in neither um, the uh, – in, in, well, you know, yeah, that didn't take part in the race at all, um, basically starting as last as you possibly could um, and, uh, and then also with the points for qualifying. Um, at the other end of the field, though, um, there's – 30, 30 of you unri- original jerk faces – with Hamilton, Hamilton. Right. With zero points for this round. Um, and then Cheated. A, Those cheaters. A great number All of, of you. Hamilton, uh, of either Rosberg-Hamilton or Hamilton-Rosberg predictions, um, which were good for one point, and then a fair number of Rosberg-Rosbergs, and so on. So a couple of people went with some Vettel predictions. Some Raikkonen ones got in trouble. Um, you know, a couple of, you know, Vettel-Ricardo and so on. A couple but, Ricardo-Hamiltons. That's interesting. Three of those. Three yeah. people thought Ricardo would be the one on pole. But... Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, so I, I'm in good company because I went Hamilton Hamilton with uh, 29 of my close friends uh, also getting zero points. So solid start to the position f- uh, to the qualifying predictions game. Huh. It's easy for me to say for a lot of us. But now it's time to make your prediction for the next one. And I can see on the page that you already made your prediction. Yes. So everyone that went Hamilton Hamilton for Australia are jerk faces. I'm going Hamilton Hamilton <laughs> for Malaysia, which is totally just... Not jerk facey at all, just smart. Okay. Um, I'm going to mix it up a slight bit because right now all you, me, and Damien are all saying ham ham, and that's a little bit boring. Well, um, ham is tasty. I did predict Rosberg for the world championship, and he's not going to win the world championship unless he wins more races than uh, Hamilton. Well, it gets more points. But I think Rosberg might win the race in Malaysia, so I am sticking with Hamilton for pole position. Oh, I think, you're going for a straight I reversal. Think, I think year. Rosberg, he might get clever. This might be the point where he gets clever. And uh, and then starts getting some good results. So just to keep things a little bit interesting and, uh, you know, maybe I'll win, maybe not. But uh, I'm going to put Hamilton Rosberg for my prediction for Malaysia. So um, if you haven't taken part yet in the Facebook predictions There's game. There's still lots of time. Please do uh, visit uh, – funwithcars.com. There's a link to our Facebook page. And uh, from there, right on the top there, there's a predictions button. You can click on that, enter your prediction, and uh, and that's all good. Um, if you don't use Facebook and you want to send us an email, uh, we can deal with that as well and uh, try to keep track of how those things go throughout the season as well. Um, so far, uh, you know, West Toman has one point um, with his email prediction. Yeah, so that's, uh, that wraps up Australia. We're optimistic that we're going to have a more exciting and more uh, plentiful in car terms, Malaysia. And until then, I am Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. Thank you, as always, for listening. (laughs) 